Well, this morning, we're going to be uh, talking about the, the word love and, and how that pertains within the community of, of, of Christ followers. Love is one of those terms that gets used so many different ways for so many different things. And, and yet it's core to what the Christian faith is all about. And specifically, uh, what we call brotherly love. Um, that is an essential ingredient uh, to the Christian faith, so much so that if you take that out, if you remove brotherly love from the walk of a Christian life, what you're left with could no longer be described as Christian. It's, it's just not. And, and so we're going to take a look at what that looks like, what it means, and how it works. So we've been making our way through the book of 1 John this summer. Uh, the series is called Verify. And, and 1 John is a letter that was written to help Christ followers cultivate confidence in their faith by confirming that the faith that we're, that we're working out is, is, is the real deal, authentic faith, and not the synthetic counterfeit kind of thing. And, and so the passage that we're looking at this morning, it verifies that, that love is the ultimate litmus test of the Christian life. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start out in verse 11. And, and in this passage, John is taking us back to the basics, back to the essentials. He's talking about this bond of brotherly love and it's at the very heart of, of what this, this new community that Jesus came to initiate, what we call church, it's, it's what it's all about. It's this dynamic that's at the very heart of it. And, and so to, to start out, he clarifies that the message that he's sharing isn't a new message. He says, in fact, that, that he, this is a reiteration of the same message they had been hearing about um, from day one. It says this, for... For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Very simple, very straightforward, and you know, so often we, we, we're, we, we kind of long for something new. You know, tell me something new, tell me something clever, tell me some kind of new insight I've never heard before. But, you know, more often than not, what we really need is not something new, we, we need to be reminded about the truths that we, we already heard, that ones that we already know, but that we've somehow we've, we've moved them to the background and we need to bring them back into the forefront again. And so here's, here, here's one of them. It's not anything new. You've heard it before. We should love one another. We should love one another. That's the message. And, and as Christ followers, there is a particular call to love our brothers and our sisters that we've been connected together with in the local church level. And that's our spiritual family, the, the local church level. And one of the challenges about family is that, you know, you don't get the option of choosing who's in your family oftentimes, right? So, you know, you can choose your wardrobe, you can choose the, the color scheme on your bedroom walls, uh, you can choose the background image on your phone, but, but very few of us get the option of custom designing what our brother or our sister is going to be like or what our mom and dad are going to be. And, and so in a, in a physical family, the starting point of making family work is, is working with what you've got. 
And, and that happens by making that choice to love people, to love them as they are. And, and what's true of our physical families also tr holds true in, in a church family as well. John's saying this major on loving each other at the local church level. And, and, and back then, when John wrote this, there were a whole, um, far fewer options when it came to choosing a local congregation to take part in. You know, today we have all kinds of options to, to choose from, churches here, churches there. And, and, and what happens in the consumeristic mindset that we oftentimes take to, to church, the trend is to leave instead of to love, because leaving is a whole lot easier you know, I, I don't like something someone said. I, something that someone said offended me, or this decision was made that I don't agree with. So long. I'm out. See you later. What happens is the more we go about custom designing our spiritual family, the less we're actually inclined to live out this call to love one another. Um, this call to brotherly love, because it happens within the context of, of a local church level, not a, not a church building. Back in John's day, church was not a place, it wasn't about a, a place you went to, it was about a people, that, a, a community that you belong to, and that is still uh, the heart of what church is all about. So let's keep on reading and read about what, what brotherly love is not, that it's empty of hate. So he says this, we should not be like Cain, who was the evil of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. All right, so let's unpack that a little bit. This passage, it's, it's talking about Cain, and it's describing Cain as like a negative example of what brotherly love is not, that this is, this is what brotherly love does not look like. And I don't know if you remember the story about Cain and Abel. You know, they're the, the, the sons of Adam and Eve, and they both prepared their individual offerings to present to the Lord. And they did so in very different ways. Cain, Cain basically offered God his leftovers. His, his offering was less than his best. And so he grabbed some day-old fruit with some fruit flies buzzing around and, and a few scattered vegetables and put them on a platter and said, here you go, Lord, this is for you. And then Abel, on the other hand, he went out of his way to give God the very best offering he possibly could. He selected the choicest meats, and he presented them before the Lord. And, and it says that, that God received Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. And, and there's just a little bit of insight there. It kind of makes you wonder, what does the Lord think of my offerings? Am, am I giving God my very best, or, or do my offerings look more like Cain's? Are they more like leftovers? Is, is, is my offerings a tithe or is it more like a tip that I just 
add on to the end. It's a, it's a question worth asking. It's not what we're looking at this morning, but it's a question worth asking because what we see from Cain and Abel's story is that it matters and God cares. And so in the wake of that, the Lord, we see how gracious he is. In, instead of scolding Cain, he reaches out in love and he says to Cain, hey, listen, just do what right, do, do what's right, and, and you'll be accepted too. Your offering will be accepted. But, but what happens is uh, Cain's heart got filled with hatred. And, and so rather than doing what right, he, he chose instead to, to lead his brother out to a field and he murdered him. And, and that's the story of Cain and Abel. It's a tragic story. And, and John is warning us. He says, guard against that Cain-like hatred from taking hold in your own heart. Guard against allowing your life to get fueled on those toxic kinds of attitudes. Attitudes like bitterness and spite and envy and jealousy and rage. Those are real attitudes and, and, and don't set your heart against a brother in hatred. He, he says, understand this, that that Cain-like contempt, he says, that's pervasive. That is commonplace in the world around us, the sinful world around us. He said, this Cain and Abel story is going to play out between a hating world, an unbelieving world that rejects Christ, and, 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 and a righteous church, right? He says, hatred from the world towards church and towards God's people. He says, that shouldn't come as a surprise. That shouldn't shock us because Jesus said, hey, they hated me first. So remember, when they hate you, it's because you're following me and they hated, they hated me and they're going to hate you. But here's what's not okay when that attitude starts to take shape within a church community, when hatred starts arising from one brother against another brother, John says that's, that's never okay. That has always been and will always be out of place and out of bounds. Don't let that happen. So, so in, order to, in order to grow a healthy church community, in order to have a healthy church family, it requires that those weeds of hatred get pulled out of our lives on a regular basis because they can grow. Don't, don't let the seeds of bitterness sprout up. If, if you've reached that point where you see your brother as your enemy, know this, something's wrong. Something's got to be looked at. Something's got to be attended to. And, and, that, and, and that really calls each of us as individuals to take responsibility for that in our own lives, to re root them out so we can get them out. That, that means refusing to play the comparison game. You know, I, I look at myself and then I compare myself. How do I rate to the people around me? And I'll use whatever kind of measurements, you know, I want. We, we, don't, we don't play that game. That's not what church is about. It means we, we stop seeing everything as a competition. You know, in every situation, there's got to be a winner and a loser, and I got to make sure that I'm the winner. That grows those seeds of hatred. It means refusing to get caught up in the gossip trap, talking down 
about people behind their backs. It means being willing to believe the best about each other, even when things don't seem quite so clear-cut. It means we don't delight in a brother's downfall when something bad happens. We don't laugh at that. Yeah, they had that coming to them. It means even we're, we're able to celebrate someone else's successes, even if that's a success that I would have liked and I would have wanted for myself. I can still genuinely be happy for that person without feeling some kind of envy in my own heart. We all wrestle with these things, and John's just saying, when you see these roots, pull them out. Pull them out. Pull those weeds out. Pull out those attitudes anytime you find traces of them, because that creates space for love, for love to blossom and for love to grow. And the church is supposed to be a place where, where love grows. So let's, let's keep on reading and see. We've seen what it doesn't look like, what brotherly love is not. Let's Let's read now more about what brotherly love does look like. And let me just invite you this, as I read this description, as we go through this, how does John's description of love compare to your own? So, so here's what he says. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, love according to John and love according to Jesus isn't about warm fuzzies. It's not about feeling good emotionals. It's, it's intentional, compassionate, sacrificial action taken on behalf of another. That's love. It's action-oriented. The, the litmus test of love is, is my willingness to act for another one's benefit at my own personal expense. That's, that's the way Jesus told to demonstrate his love for us. And it's the way that we are told as well to extend that love to the people in and around us. It reminds us first that Jesus laid down his life for us, right? That's, that's how Jesus spelled love. He didn't demonstrate his love with a social media hashtag. That wasn't love. He didn't get a tattoo on his, on his arm with a slogan. He didn't express love with a group hug. His love was not about sentimentality. He spelled love sacrifice. That's how he spelled love. He came to earth. He poured out his life on the cross where he was pierced for your transgressions, for my transgressions, where he was crushed for your iniquities and for my iniquities. And it says he didn't do that out of obligation or out of duty. He did it out of this amazing love in his heart for you and for me. Love is what drove him to the cross to give his all. So Jesus equated love with action. And then the follow-up is this. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That there's this willing, sacrificial um, availability that we have for those in, in the community of Christ. 
And that's pretty straightforward. Follow Jesus' example and demonstrate love through sacrificial action by giving up your lives for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so, so let me tell you what goes on in my mind when I hear that, right? Um, I picture you and me, and we're, we're in the bank, we're, we're standing on the line in a bank, and there's maybe five people ahead of us, and um, out of nowhere, a bank robbery breaks out. Guys come in, and this is before COVID, so they've got, you know, masks on. Not everyone else does, but I had this thought in my mind before this all happened. Um, they've got masks on, and they've got guns out, and there's shooting going on, and there's screaming happening, and we're all down on the floor. And then, at that moment, what happens is the theme music from the A-team starts playing on in the background, okay? And, and one of the robbers gets a gun and starts to shoot, and I leap up into the air and take one in the heart for you. I just gave my life for you. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, this guy, this guy has watched one, way too many episodes of 24, and, uh, and you're right, I have watched that so many times. I love that show. Um, but, uh, but I love to say, isn't that what he's saying here? Isn't that what John's telling us? Jesus laid down his life for me, and, and I'm willing to lay my, my life down for you. And, and I'd be willing to bet that most of you in this room would be willing to do the same thing for me. So, so that's the scene that I would choose. But it's not the scene that John chooses. Contrast it with what John says. He says, this radical, action-oriented love is going to find expression and here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like this. Hey, here's my wallet. There's a person in need. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take out my wallet. I'm going to grab some money, and I'm going to open it up. I'm going to hand some cash to a brother who's going through some financial difficulties. That's, that's love. Now, now, I don't know about you, but that sounds, it sounds a lot less dramatic to me than what I had in mind. I can't really picture the A-Team theme music playing when someone doing something like that, but, but John says, that's what love looks like. That's how we play it out. You see, most times that radical action-oriented love is going to get expressed in very ordinary ways. That's how it happens. Jesus expressed it in the ultimate monumental way, but, but for you and me, it's going to be incremental. And, and ordinary. And so I may never get the chance to take a bullet for you, but I guarantee you, every one of us, we all have the opportunity to find someone in need and help that person respond to it. Maybe it's a financial need. Man, you know, that, that happens. That's a reality, and it happens to people in our church family. And, and, and some of us that Throughout the course of a lifetime, we may find ourselves in a place where we're on the receiving end of that. And, you know, that, that can be a challenge. And, you know, the world might look at that and say, boy, that person needs some charity. But you know what, God's people, we, we never see that as charity. We never see it that way. It's always a God-orchestrated opportunity to demonstrate love the way Jesus did. It's, it's never a burden. It's always a blessing to help someone 
in the body of Christ. It's a privilege. And that's just one example. That's just one example of what it looks like. Incremental action on behalf of another, on behalf of a brother or a sister that we're connected to at the local church level expressed over the course of a lifetime. It's a powerful thing. And, and I got to tell you, I have found in my own life that the smaller sacrifices are oftentimes harder to make than the big ones. So, so sometimes I've I found myself in situations where there's no question, I will give up my life for this person, but do I really need to give up my time for them? It's so inconvenient. You know, I've got things to do. There's a show coming on and they need help. Ah, man, something in me starts pushing back. I don't know about you, but that can happen. But, but I've come to understand and recognize in my walk with the Lord that that's, that's how Jesus calls us to live. That's how he calls us to love. Sacrifice the resources that he's given me, that he's blessed you with, whenever that opportunity arises. That's, that's love in action. So, so brotherly love, we see that it's empty of hate, it's, it's full of action, and one last thing is that it cultivates confidence. And here's how the passage ends. It says this, by, we shall, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of Jesus, his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, so the passage is closing here, and there's a lot of kind of disparate thoughts going around that have kind of circled throughout the whole letter. But, but one thing that he's drawing out here is that there's a particular byproduct that happens when we choose to live this other-focused, action-oriented life of love. And that is that it, it cultivates confidence in our walk with the Lord, in our relationship with God. So it, it talks about those moments in our lives that, that happen when, when, when we're plagued by guilt, when just the guilty conscience is just, is just bearing down on us and, 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 and we're just seeing up close and personal all our failures and all the ways that we've blown it. And, and John has already confirmed to us, he's promised to us in chapter one, right? We know that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's how, that's how fellowship is restored. But, but many times there is this residue of guilt and it just keeps us at a distance from God. And, and it's left in our conscience, and it's hard to shake that feeling. And that's something that happens to all of us. And, and, and so what John is saying here is that the byproduct of practicing this kind of love that the passage is talking about, that he's just filled us in about, is that there's an ability to set our hearts at rest in God's presence. So it's not that living a life of love makes us right with God, but there is a byproduct 
to living a life of love that sets our hearts at rest, that gives us that, that confirmation that we need. One, one translation says that we will convince our conscience in His presence. It's a beautiful thing. So I think what it's saying is, God says this, you get serious about loving your brothers and your sisters, and I'll take care of that conscience. I'll take care of that conscience that's gnawing at you, that guilt that you just can't seem to, to shake. Seek out those opportunities to serve, to sacrifice, to, to give yourself away, and, and I'll create this bridge of intimacy between you and me. It's a beautiful thing. There's, there's a treasure in that promise. The path to confidence is a life of love. And that confidence is so important because when you're confident, you, you don't tiptoe around the presence of God, you know? There's this boldness to ask Him for big things. And there's the assurance that John talks about here that He's listening and He's going to answer those prayers because your life is aligned around His agenda and His will. And that's, that's the call of the church community. And there's, there's an apologetic it's living that out on a corporate basis. This is how church is meant to work. It is a community that's built on love. And we're called to love each other in a world that hates, in a world that's filled with hatred. If that hatred infects the, the church, then we've got nothing to offer. But when we're living that out, that life of love, loving each other the way that Christ has loved us, the world will see something in the church that can't be found anywhere else. And it's beautiful and it's compelling. And Jesus' dream for this church and for every church is that that bond of brotherly love would be the logo, that that's the logo of the Christian life he said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. Not if you have the right political ideology. Not if you are morally superior to the rest of the world. He wants the trademark of the, trademark of the Christian life to be love. That radical love that we practice to each other. A love that's empty of hate. A love that's filled with action. A love that's so strong that it would blow the watching world away. And they'd say, man, I don't know who those guys are. I don't know what they're about, but they've got something there. The way they love each other is so strong and so powerful that, that I got to go check that out. There's something to that. And when I preach through a passage like this, I can't help but just have so much gratitude in my heart for the love that has been shown in this church body, in this spiritual family. I am so blessed. This has been going on in Lakeview Community Church for years. Guys, you have loved well. You have loved each other well. You have come alongside and, and carried along and, and just poured out sacrificially to each other in amazing ways. And I love that. There is a sense of loving community that is like, it's, it's almost like you can you can smell it when you walk into, in, into church on a Sunday morning. Um, we want to protect that. We want to keep that. We want to cultivate. We want to continue to live that out. So thank you, and let's keep on 
keeping on with it. Pray with me, please.